Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, reading in verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Hear now the word of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, falling to their knees. They worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went home to their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. The year I ruined Christmas, I was nine years old. I don't remember whose idea it was, but my sister Mandy and I hatched the plan that changed everything. 
Our mom wrapped presents as she purchased them in the lead-up to Christmas, adding to a slowly growing treasure trove under the tree that was most tantalizing. On that fateful December 21st at 1 o'clock a.m., not a creature was stirring but the two May sisters. We crept down the spiral staircase to the family room, armed with flashlights, scissors, and scotch tape. Finding our presents, we painstakingly sliced open the taped ends of the shiny paper, peeling them back just enough to discover the contents inside. Delighted and satisfied that it was going to be a good Christmas, we artfully sealed them back and placed them under the tree as if they'd never been touched, leaving nary a trace for my mom of her daughter's devious determination to have Christmas early. Christmas morning came, but it was ruined. We'd killed the surprise and spoiled the joy and wonder and possibility of an unexpected gift. Instead of gleeful present exchanges, there was guilt and shame, not only for what we had done days before, but for the performance we had to put on that morning for our clueless mother of being surprised. The gifts that changed our lives that year weren't under the tree. They were the kind of lessons you learn the hard way. And one lesson stayed with me well into motherhood. Never put gifts under the tree until Christmas Eve. (laughs) After the children are fast asleep, lead them not into temptation. (laughs) Instead, I found a different way to ruin Christmas. I rely heavily on Amazon.com gift lists. Know that I have mixed feelings about taking the easy way out, ordering things with free shipping directly from the warehouse, Gift purchasing of this kind leaves me feeling cold, a little lazy, making my gift giving more of an obligation rather than as a joy from my heart-guided selections. But with such lists, this busy pastor can bring Christmas joy with a stroke of my keypad. When the packages arrive, I immediately hide the brown boxes until the 24th when they are opened and gift-wrapped. By then, I simply cannot remember who gets what gift. (laughs) On Christmas morning, Luke opened a box of Vans, a hip shoe for today's teens. His eyes lit up. Wow, Mom, cool. How did you know I'd like these? Charlie, sitting across the room, sighed. Mom, those were on my list. (laughs) Ministers are just like you. No matter how much spiritual preparation we do in Advent for receiving the true gift of the Christ child, and no matter how much holy wonder and glory we unwrap on Christmas Eve and worship, in most families, the emphasis is still on gift-giving. Thoughtful presents or tangible forms of the love we share with one another, appreciation and gratitude for the gift of life we enjoy among family and friends. Long before online shopping changed the nature of gift-giving, O. Henry's 1905 short story, The Gift of the Magi, introduced us to Della and Jim, that desperately in-love young couple who, financially strapped, go to great lengths to choose the perfect gift, even selling their prized possessions in order to buy something wonderful all out of their love for one another. I look for such tenderness in these days, A cranky New York Times editorial bemoaned our entitlement culture, admitting, 
quote, there's a transactional aspect to giving now, a way of forcing a script onto what used to be spontaneous. Online personal registry services have evolved to serve the demand. God forbid someone show you generosity you didn't explicitly request. Where's the line between writing a letter to the North Pole and forking over an itemized file of material desires? The former seems sweet. The latter feels like handing someone a grocery list. The emphasis on the things themselves suggests that Christmas's success or failure, as if Christmas could be a success or failure, hinges on the rightness of the gifts. I wonder if the majesty and meaning of Epiphany hinged on the rightness of their gifts. These are arguably the most famous trio of gifts given in history, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three treasures that shaped the tradition of three kings, an unlikely one. The astrologers from the east certainly traveled on a long journey for weeks, maybe months, in an entourage, a large caravan, including magi and servants and supplies and more, having adventures and struggles along their way. The familiar story leaves plenty of room for our imaginations to fill in, only giving us these three strange gifts placed in the story as a teaching tool, prophetic symbols that point to who this babe will grow up to be. Gold worthy of a king, frankincense worthy of a divine lord, and myrrh, burial spice, for a divine dying savior. These gifts were fit neither for a baby nor for a nursing mother. If these gifts were the right ones, it is because they are gifts of recognition. Gifts of recognition tell people that we see who they are and what they do. Heads of state exchange gifts when they meet to recognize power in one another and in the nations they lead. Bridesmaid gifts are tokens of gratitude to remember the time and money spent to stand with a special friend on her wedding day. Teachers, pastors, hairdressers, baristas, and postal workers are given gift cards and extra tips to recognize their sacrifice. When the light of the star shone over Bethlehem, magicians and astrologers were led, perhaps from Babylon, the seat of ancient astronomical studies. This traveling band of magi weren't very wise at all. They only knew what nature had revealed. They didn't understand his Jewishness, nor have a good grasp of scriptures that would have prophesied of his birth and all that it would mean. They were coming to recognize that a king had been born, as was the custom, and they were coming to honor his arrival. Barbara Brown Taylor writes of these magi, they clearly had no idea or only false ideas about the one they traveled to see. The star pointed them to a God who prefers to make an entrance in the dust and muck of a barn in a backwater town. They didn't know that their gifts are not much help to revealing this king as the kind born in a stable to be not just the son of God for all, but the sacrificial lamb, the suffering servant. It is one thing to recognize a king. It is entirely another to truly know him. People of faith know what Christ wants and deserves when we arrive at the manger and leaving there are committed to following him. It is the gift of our heart, a gift that comes with sacrifice and love and thought and care, a gift that we can only give because we know someone. 
It is a gift not only because this child changes our behavior, but this child changes our very being. Such a gift has power to transform the one who gives it, to change us on the inside, not just on the outside. Putting aside the trio of treasures, read the passage again. The Magi were overjoyed when the star stopped, for they had found the place. Their journey was finally over. They could enter the home and and do what they came to do. But in the presence of the king, they were overjoyed. And in the presence of God, they were overcome. Putting down their treasures, they not only honored him, they worshipped him, prostrating themselves before him embraced in a cloud of everything divine, entering a home filled with holiness, they were changed. This fourth gift of worship is the most important gift. And in fact, it was their first gift. And it's what God wants most of all. Gifts of recognition are still meaningful, desirable gifts. They are the Amazon.com wish list of a relationship with God. We try to check off the list what Jesus clearly asked for to love our neighbor as ourselves, care for the least of these, feed his sheep, forgiving your mother-in-law's hurtful comment, being patient with your needy neighbor, drawing near to a grieving colleague, following his teachings is to check off the wish list. Serving at Delanus, building in the Philippines, teaching third grade Sunday school, writing a check to Hope Clinic, delivering poinsettias, singing out with heart, Serving communion with shaky hands. Serving on session in complicated times. These are not small gifts, but gifts which recognize love incarnate, truth, divine grace in human flesh, and respond to it. We may think of them as forms of worship and adoration, but in Matthew at Epiphany, the long journey, the star, the light breaking forth, our God leads us to the manger to actual worship, adoration, reverence, awe. Why wouldn't that be our first gift? We are all searching to recognize God, to encounter our King and Lord at his birth. We spend our our lives of faith, trying to to know him, to follow him, to believe in him, to disempower doubt from dissuading us. But the uneasiness of adoration is real for many of us. When he was 13, Ken, a member of my clergy group, defied his parents and dropped out of the confirmation class, confused by the lesson taught to him that the chief reason God made us is to praise him. Ken assumed that a God who needs and wants all this praise must surely be a narcissist. God who desires or even demands human adoration has insatiable ego needs. And it's all about God. God is the object. Ken couldn't bear to choose a relationship with one who needed him to fawn and fall over himself in unworthiness. But then, growing up and into a more complex world, accepting a multifaceted faith of his own, in later years, Ken began to reconsider. He encountered God in different places and came to a clearer understanding of God's wish list. The divine is our source and our sacred path. Worship is not about praising God. It is about not praising ourselves. 
about recognizing that we are not God, that finally we have come to understand our beginnings and the limits of our humanity. It is giving up our endless need for power and self-control, giving away our will and embracing surrender, surrender to the Spirit of God at work in this world, acceptance of life and love and death. Adoration is a byproduct of understanding who we are and who God is. Adoration flows also from service. For Ken, worship became an outward expression of inward moments, and he came to love and to praise this God. The Magi found the light, the love that changed their hearts. They didn't manufacture it. They didn't find it. It found them. It shone on the babe so fully that they could see that this was not a cheap substitute or knockoff or egomaniacal king. They recognized that this was no Herod. This king, this one, surpassed their expectations because in so many ways he did not meet them at all. Awe overwhelmed them, and beyond recognition, they related to this child. They worshiped. Now, gifts of recognition can become gifts of relationship. It's a journey. The Magi were first overwhelmed, and then they were overcome. After months of travel, the light arose and shined forth and poured into their hearts, and they could do no other. Our ancestors in faith passed that on to us. We still carry that light within us on our own journey of discovery. So what does it mean for you to love him? And what does it look like for you to worship? When Brian Greasy, 1998 Michigan Rose Bowl winning quarterback, was 12, he suffered his worst defeat, the death of his mother to cancer. The youngest son was the one left to absorb his and his father Bob's pain of losing his mom, and a long journey of loss shaped him. As a student at Michigan, Brian spent Thursday nights visiting patients at Mott. Pinckney High School student Jane Uber was one of them. After breaking her neck in a fall from a horse, confined to a wheelchair with limited use of her arms, each week Greasy admired her courage and was inspired as he visited with her. He recognized who she was and what she was going through. He recognized her strength. Once a week, they spent special time together. They were special buddies. But then Jane asked Brian if he would escort her to her senior prom. He declined at first, not wanting to draw attention to himself or cross inappropriate boundaries. But his friends urged him to see another side and helped him to reconsider That night at the prom, he danced throughout the night with Jane in her wheelchair. And then with his strong arms, he picked her up and danced without the wheelchair. It was beautiful and emotional and somehow healing. This was the gift beyond recognition. This was the gift of cherishing a relationship. It was a lesson begun in loss, learning compassion and empathy and love from his mother's death and his friend's wisdom. The hardest journey of his life was transformed into a gift of relationship that changed lives. It changed hers, and it changed his, and it changed everyone who witnessed it. We've been taking our own journeys to this place. We've arrived. Nothing can ruin this epiphany moment. 
God isn't looking for a tantalizing treasure trove of gifts, but just the one. May we in this new year come here, come to this table, and come to the manger and worship him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son to be Emmanuel, God with us. At his birth, the night sky lit up with a heavenly host and a guiding star. Shepherds and magi found their way to you. Women and children, tax collectors and leopards continued to find their way to you. The darkness of Gethsemane and the cross and the grave could not overcome you, for you are the light of the world, shining still. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. In this feast, make us one with you and with each other. Inflame us and empower us with your spirit, that we may be united in ministry in every place. Send us out in your marvelous light into the world, ready to serve others and work for peace. We pray all this and all the prayers we hold in our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Our Father, Father, who who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.